Well, I want to speak this morning. Um, I'm not managing to get away from what I was looking at the last time, um, which is the economy of God, but really what I want to look at today, to be specific, is God's answer to what's going on in the earth today. And what's going on in the earth today is the Great Reset, or Agenda 2030, all the different names for it that we are aware of, the agenda that's going on, which COVID is very much part of that agenda. It's being used by the kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth, to bring about a situation which they're calling the Great Reset, which is they're going to reset the governments of the earth or the government of the earth because they want one government over the earth. And we know that from Scripture. But they also want one world economy. Now, some people might think, well, that's not a bad thing. You know, we use the same currency wherever we go. And we got a little bit used to that in the European Union. There was the euro. We didn't sign up to it. Hallelujah. But, and you know, it would be great to have the same laws, the same government. You know, we've all watched the sci-fi movies that that's the reality of the future. But here's the bad news about the Great Reset. And here's the other thing. It's not old news. Sorry, it's not new news. It's old news. The Great Reset is designed to bring economic slavery and poverty to mankind. I'm going to say this. It's always the devil's objective to make you poor. And especially to make you poor being the Christians, the people of God. And that is why there's so much hype about the prosperity message. Oh, we don't want that prosperity gospel. You will. Let me just say there are elements of the prosperity gospel that we might find distasteful when it's abused. Yes. But I don't believe that God wants us to think prosperity. I believe God wants us to think abundance okay because there's a difference between you see prosperity is all about me having a nice car me having a bigger house me wearing armani suits but abundance scripturally means there's always plenty for everyone amen and it's out of the abundance that god gives us that we can give to every good work so god's economy is abundance okay but the devil's economy when the devil gets his way let me just say this you're going to be poor and if you don't believe me i'm I'm going to i'm going to prove it to you if you'll take the time to drive in a mile or two radius of this building i was i saw something i think it was yesterday on facebook we actually used it in the advert for this meeting and it was a poster of Schwab, Klaus Schwab, I think his name is, the author of the Great Reset book. And it was, it, was a, it was holding a gun, so it was a cartoon thing, 
but he, but he basically was, it said, the strap thing said, and this is by 2030 that it's the plan, you will own nothing. And the bottom says, and you will be happy. And that's the message of our leaders who are pursuing this globalist, new world order, we would call it Antichrist and Babylon agenda. You will own nothing as their plan. You will not have ownership of your house. In fact, you don't own your house right now, even if you paid your mortgage off. And I'll prove that to you. Try not paying your council tax for 18 months and see who really owns your house. Amen? But that's another uh, issue. But it's not really because this idea of private property, private property is in this book. God's uh, ideal for man is that man has his private property. Now, we don't own anything in the sense that we're all stewards. We can't take anything out of this world. We came in naked, we're going to leave naked. And it doesn't matter what size of mansion you live in, because we're all going out in the same box, the same size box roughly, am I right? But the key issue is, is that this idea of owning nothing, well, just put that into plain, simple terms, owning nothing equals poverty. Amen? And the plan of the 2030 thing, the, uh, the Great Reset, is that actually you will not own your own home. You will not own things. They will be collective property. Now, if you want to be political, you can say that's communism. Okay, but communism, here's breaking news, is of the devil. Now, there is in the early church, uh, it tells us that nobody considered that, that they, they, the possessions that they owned were their own. But that's not because they said, oh, that's communal property, so much as they said, well, I don't want to have proprietorship of anything that could bless my brother or sister. So what happened in the days of the early church, and don't we hear all the time, oh, it would be great to get back to the days of the early church, when Peter's shadow fell in. Wouldn't it be great to walk past sick people and your shadow healed them? We're thinking supernatural, signs and wonders, because we all want a miracle ministry. Yeah? Because that would make us feel good about ourselves. Now, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, when we talk about the early church, that's how we tend to view it. Oh, back to the days of the Acts. Well, let's talk about the days of Acts. We won't go there, but if you look it up yourself, what was the first thing really to happen in the early church was that the folks who had sold what they had and laid it at the apostles' feet so that the folks who didn't have could be brought up to parity. In other words, they had a hatred of systemic poverty from day one in the early church. They couldn't stand that their brothers and sisters, you know, to see maybe some of the wee kiddies running about with no shoes or threadbare clothes. The ones that had, their hearts were so moved by the Spirit, they said, look, we've got, we've got surplus. We can sell that surplus and, and bring everybody up. So we can destroy poverty in our Christian ecclesia community. 
But you know, when we talk about, oh, let's go back to early church, we don't talk about going back to that. Could you slip? That was, that was a dangerous flirtation with socialism. No, that was just the Spirit of God moving among his people. But what they're proposing with the Great Reset, they don't have those uh, agape-inspired ideas in mind. They just want to make sure you don't have anything. And they own it all. And it actually goes beyond even money. Uh, I was listening to Gene Lingerfeld speaking about that. I'm so glad that he did because I'd been shown the same thing. That when you go up all the levels of wealth to the really top guys, it's no longer about accumulating money to them. It's about control and power. Okay, so the, the, but the great end time battle will be fought in the economic realm. And uh, I meant to start with speaking about a guy called Horace Bushnell, who was an American preacher in the 19th century. He prophesied that you know, the last great battle that would take place would be in the financial realm. And if you need proof of that, read Revelation 18. In fact, let's just go there because I don't want to just talk about this, but it's not really what I want to uh, labor on today. But let's go to Revelation 18 because if we say, well, we're living in the last days, this is the last days, folks. Revelation 18. And, and you could argue we've not even reached Revelation 18 yet. Amen? We are in Revelation 17, arguably. Okay, but Revelation 18 says, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. The earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. I long to see that in my day. And it's become the habitation of devils. Well, let's look around and see the world as it is. Babylon that sits in many waters, the world economy, the world system, that which is all around us, folks, governmental, uh, political. Amen? Look at Afghanistan. Look at everything that's happening in the world right now. Look at America, ripped apart. Look at the man sitting in the White House. The habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, a cage of every unclean and hated bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth, there it is, the kings of the earth, those who oppose Yahweh and are against his anointed, saying, let us cast off their restraints. We don't want to hear these Christian folks anymore. We don't want to hear about God anymore. We don't want God in our statute books. We don't want to hear those Christians. They've committed fornication. Why? Because they're, they're in Babylon. They're in bed with the whore of Babylon. The kings of the earth have committed fornication. The merchants. Notice how the, the rulers, the kings, and the merchants are together. You see, you look around today and ask, who's running the show? Who's running Britain? Is it Boris Johnson? Or is it Bill Gates? Is it the guy that you maybe got a parcel from this morning? The Bezos guy, Amazon. Is it Mark Zuckerberg? Who told you you can't put that Christian post on Facebook? Who's running Britain? 
Who's running Scotland? Is it Nicola? Or is some nauseatingly so Christians go, Nicola? Oh yes, they're running it. But they're not running it for you and I. They're certainly not running it for the Lord. They're running it. The kings of the earth are running it for the merchants. The merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, did you hear this voice during the run-up to Brexit? I did. Come out of her, my people. And I'm still hearing it today. The voice of that angel from heaven saying to God's people, come out of her. And what does that tell me? God's people are in Babylon. Some of them. God's remnant saints are not in Babylon, or they're doing their best to stay away from it. But those who are in Babylon are hearing that voice, or should be. Come out of her. Not come out of her, you filthy, unclean, unconverted sinners. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Why? That ye be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. It's on record, you can check it on, in my blog. And some of you heard me saying it. Prior to Brexit, I preached this, and I said, the plagues are coming, so we need to get out. And I believe we got out too, too slow. And, and the implication is, if you don't get out, and you don't get out fast enough, you're going to get hit with plagues. And, and has there been plagues? I don't believe the plagues are just diseases or sicknesses or viruses. But I believe it includes that. There's plagues. For our sins have reached unto heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And I'm not saying God is throwing diseases and viruses down in people. That's not what I'm saying. But people step into judgment because they reap what they sow. The nations are reaping what they've sown. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works in the cup which she has filled. Now, listen, we could read all this, but I want to go on and just show you this because we could, we could be in this all day, and I don't want to, but it says here, uh, if we read um, in verse 9, kings of the earth shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off, for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. It tells us that there's a day, verse 8, our plagues will come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. And then it narrows it down in the next verse, it says in one hour. In one day, in one hour on that day, Babylon will fall. That's God's judgment. His eternal word on the matter. I don't care what they do. I don't care how many times they try to lock us down, shut the church, put nappies in our faces, do all these things, the protocols. When they're crunching in people who oppose them, they're not caring about your health. When they're locking down people knowing that, that, that it will ramp up suicide 
and depression that leads to suicide and compromise people's immune system, they don't care about your health. Oh, governments are so concerned about us. Well, that's a, that'll be a first. The merchants of the earth, this is the good news, shall weep and mourn over her. No man buys their, their goods anymore. Nobody's going on to Amazon anymore, friends. In that hour, in that day, from that day. And, and I'll put my hand up and say I do buy stuff from Amazon. I'm not knocking people here for going on Amazon. I'm talking about what God's judgment is on the system. You understand? The merchandise of gold and silver and all that. Now, you can read it all. And it's calamity to the tycoons of the earth. Now, I need to say this. The Great Reset is designed to impoverish everybody except these guys. And that's why God's judgment falls on Babylon. Now, how's God going to... Because uh, Peter Wagner wrote a book on this not long before he passed about how the judgment of Babylon is a wealth transfer event. And we looked at that last time, how the people of God, the ecclesia of God, standing in their place as God's Zion, that they magnetize, or God magnetizes through them, the wealth of the nations. The wealth of the nations, Isaiah 6 verse 5, shall come to you. Okay? The abundance of the sea which is this, the economy, the many waters of Babylon, the abundance shall be turned or converted to you. The tide will turn, folks, and all of the wealth will come to God's people. Those who are standing in faith for it, not those who are saying, you know, the preachers shouldn't have jets, you know, they should fly economy. Well, thank God for Kenneth Copeland, who gave his jet and apparently millions of dollars to Glenn Beck who just got 5,000 plus people out of Afghanistan maybe God had a purpose in that preacher having a jet after all and maybe he has a purpose in preachers having jets because we don't know what we're going to have to get out of next or where we're going to have to get out of next anyway what I want us to look at though today is what is God's answer to this you will own nothing and you'll be happy. You're going to be happy owning nothing? As I said to you, I'll get, I'll get back to it now. I said to you, if you go around this church, a mile or two around this church, you'll see what they've got planned. You might come down, I don't know if you do, Bert, but if you go up that road there to Rob Royson, you'll see what they have planned. And after this COP26 conference, if the Lord doesn't intervene through the prayers of faithful saints, you're going to really see it because here's what they're planning. You're not going to have your car. That's not scaremongering, folks. They've announced that they want to take cars off people. That's why all these psychopaths, that's what I'm talking about, not psychopaths. They're psychopaths, but the psychopaths are having psychopaths built, if you've noticed, all over the place, but within a mile of this building, you got that road and it used to be two-lane traffic. Now, the biggest part of the road is a cycle path on a very busy road and you've got to squeeze through your car because they don't want you having cars. 
That's what lockdown's all about. And I'll tell you this, lockdowns are coming. Nothing to do with COVID-19, but with climate change. We need to take drastic steps to reduce fuel emissions. So folks, if you want to own a car, you're going to have to have a license. I'm not talking about a driving license. I'm talking about a license to have a car. And you have to give a good reason why you need a car. You need a car to deliver Amazon parcels, don't you? Or, or to, to be part of the system. But you folks that use your cars for coming to church, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be able to use your car for that purpose. I'm not scaremongering here. I'm not inventing this. This stuff is all documented. Go and read the documents. Great reset, all that. They want to take cars off people because to, that's the whole climate change. And it's all a ruse. It's not a ruse because it's, it's not about climate change. It's about making you poor. Because I, I don't know about you, but without a car to travel around in, brothers and sisters, that's poverty. That's poverty. You will own nothing. But there might be buses. There may be buses, but you don't need to worry about the buses because you'll be locked down that much that you'll not be able to go in. That's not scaremongering. I don't believe in that type of fear stuff. You know, I don't like that type of preaching. I know people that came to Christ and sincerely because they were terrified by films like A Thief in the Night. Oh, the Antichrist is coming. You must turn to Christ. I don't believe in that. But brothers and sisters, we need to face... You see, if you don't understand what's going on in the world right now, you're at the mercy of forces that will tear you apart. We are not ignorant of the devil's stratagems. My people perish. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So if you don't know, oh no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's great. You know, and, and, and you hear people talking about, oh, you consider lockdown tyranny. What about, you know, when people are being burned at the stake? You can't compare the, the government who loves you so much, look, so caring about you, locking you down in your house. You can't compare that with martyrdoms and so on. No, well, maybe not in scale, but in spirit, it's the same spirit. See, tyranny, George Orwell says, the future is this, a boot stamping on a human face forever. Okay, a famous quote of George Orwell. That's the future planned for us. Uh, a, 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 a boot stamping on a human face forever. Quite a vivid, you know, image. But tyranny doesn't start with that, brothers and sisters. It starts with someone deciding to put the boots on. Tyranny is incremental. If you don't spot it in the seed stage, by the time the harvest comes, it's too late to do much about it except cry out for mercy. So we need to understand tyranny or antichrist, because it's the same thing. You don't get an antichrist spirit that is benevolent and certainly not towards the saints of God. 
So if you can't recognise that in what's going on today in a world that we live in, and if you get to talk about the murder of babies and all that, the spirit is there, that spirit of murder is there. And let me just put point this out to you, every single baby, born or unborn, belongs to the Lord. Made in God's image. So it's the desire to murder that human being made in God's image. It's in their hearts. And it's not just, oh, another anti-abortion rant. No. It's recognizing the spirit. And identifying and understanding that's what we have to do with. But I want to get into the, if you like, the positive side of this. And I want to show you something because God has an answer. What's God's answer to people that want to take everything away from you and I and you will own nothing and we'll be happy. Well, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is that God sent a man called Abraham, gave covenant, sorry, with a man called Abraham. God's answer to the great reset is the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. says here, we know it well, Thou shalt remember Yahweh thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Oh, oh. Did, he not, did the Lord not get the memo that we don't have the prosperity gospel? God gives the power to get wealth that he may, he has a reason for it, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as it is this day. So God tells us here that he's given power to get wealth, ability to get wealth, to establish his covenant with Abraham. Yes, but that's Old Testament. Don't you know that, preacher? That's Old Testament stuff. We don't, we're, we're, we're far too spiritual these days. You know, that's wealth, that, that, oh, 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 that dirty word, that filthy lucre. Well, turn with me to, and, and remember this word, these words here, establish his covenant. Establish his covenant. But that's Old Testament, we don't bother with that. That's Old Covenant stuff. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3 and find out if it really is Old Covenant stuff. See what the New Testament has to say about it and what the Apostle Paul has to say about it in Galatians chapter 3. We'll read just a few verses here. It says, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. What is the curse of the law? Well, it includes poverty, doesn't it? Go and read Deuteronomy 28. Being made a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now we can buy that. Because we, oh well, he became, he's made a curse for us. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Amen. He died for our sins. And if you're Pentecostal, charismatic, a little bit liberated, he died. As Alec has said many times, it's just as much for healing as it is for sin. Yeah? Or salvation. 
The two, it's a package. It's not, you know, we get saved, but the healing thing, you can, you can take it or leave it. You can take it or leave it. I choose to take it because it's available. Amen. Cursed! But is there another reason Jesus died? The next verse tells us, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the nations or the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham. What's the blessing of Abraham? He was rich. Very rich in cattle, silver and gold. The commodities of God. Genesis chapter 13 verse 2. Livestock, silver and gold. The three commodities. The cattle in a thousand hills are mine, so they belong to the Lord. The silver and gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, well, let's, let's just see this. So, so that blessing of Abraham is part, it's not just part of the new covenant, it's foundational. It's foundational. And what is that blessing? The power to get wealth. That's the covenant. That's the blessing of the covenant. And if you say, oh no, we're not sure, watch this. Verse 15, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. In other words, if it's just men covenanting together, not God and Abraham, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls it or adds to it. In other words, even between men, covenants are binding. And note that word confirmed. If it be confirmed, then he says, Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one unto thy seed, which is Christ. So the seed of Abraham is Christ. And it says later on in the chapter, If you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed. So in Christ we are the seed of Abraham. Whatever Abraham is blessed with, so are you and I. And it actually tells in Romans chapter 4, Abraham is the heir of the world. So, you know, I don't like these people. Oh, uh, I, I, I don't like this old world. I'm just a passing through. You better start liking it because it's your inheritance. We don't love the world as in love the, the system. But I don't know about you, but I love inheritance. The thought of inheriting something. And especially if God says, that's your inheritance, son. Look what happened to the last guy that despised his birthright. Yeah. The, the hated of God. Yeah. You know, Jacob have I loved because he coveted the blessing and the birthright. But that guy that treated it with disdain, I hate him. That's the Lord. Yeah. So I, 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 I love Inheriting, I don't know about you, what God has me. Now watch what it says here. And this I say, verse 17, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which is 430 years later can't affect it. In other words, he's saying that the old covenant at Sinai, maybe Moses and the children of Israel, that can't do away with the covenant God made with Abraham but here's the key thing I want to show you. This is what I believe the Lord wants us to see today. 
And it's this. God made the covenant with Abraham in Christ. He required that Abraham offer up Isaac because by terms of the covenant, whatever a man in covenant with another man offers, the other party has to be prepared to offer the same. That's the deal with covenant. That's why Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And the Bible says that God preached the gospel to Abraham. And that's why Abraham says, God will provide himself Allah. Because Abraham understood as a covenant man, you know, God's just asked me to give him my son. That's why I believe God would raise him from the dead. He says, God's asked me a really unreasonable request here to kill my son. But I'm a covenant man. I'm steeped in covenant thinking. I'm schooled by Yahweh. I understand how Yahweh operates. And I understand that if Yahweh asks of me my son, he has to have a son. Or he's voided this covenant. If, I, if you and I are in covenant, Bert, and I say to you, I covenant with you, and you say, Bill, I need your car. And I say, well, I'm a covenant man. You can have my car. I only need it for three weeks. Well, mine's in the garage, and, and, I, and I, maybe I've got a spare, and we're covenant men. If I say to you, oh, no, I'm breaking covenant. There's nothing worse than a covenant breaker in the ancient world. So I say, Bert, there's my car. There's the keys. I filled it up with petrol. Bless you, bro. And you bring it back. Thanks, bro. And then six months later, I say to Bert, Bert, I know you've got three cars in the garage. So can I have a, not a chance. Not a chance. Then I'm a, then he bears a covenant breaker. So when God says to Abraham, bring your son. Slay your son. Offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham, the covenant man's thinking, this is a whole new level. God must have a son. Jesus said to Abraham, Rejoice to see my day and was glad. Why? Because Abraham realized, you know, he realized, maybe not have all the details, but he realized, me giving up Isaac is nothing. But if God gives up his son, oh, wow. See, Isaac was a type, but when, how many know, and Abraham understood this. This is the thing that Abraham understood. When God said, give me your son, and the angel stayed his hand, Abraham knew God will not fail his side of the bargain. It was already done. In fact, the Bible tells us it was done before the foundation of the world. It won't, God won't shirk out. Abraham knew that. So the Bible tells us 430 years before the law was given to the children of Israel in Sinai to Moses to give to them, it says the covenant was done. It only had to be fulfilled in history because that's all God required of Abraham. You do your part because I'm stepping in and I'll do mine. It's impossible for God to lie. It's not a case of, well, he can lie if he wants to. It's impossible. God has placed impossibility upon himself and he can swear by no greater, so he had to swear by himself. It's impossible. I believe God said to himself one day, it's impossible for me to lie. 
And from that point on it was. Does that make sense? So what happened was, in the mind of God, in the annals of heaven, yes, Jesus died, we know, uh, more than 2,000 years later, on a hill outside of Jerusalem. But from that point on, the Abrahamic covenant was established. Amen? From that point on, the Abrahamic covenant was in the mind of God. And that's why when Jesus came, he functioned in fullness. Because he said, I am the resurrection. Not I will be the resurrection. Amen? You say, well, he didn't really have the authority to pull people out of tombs till after he had been resurrected. Oh, yes, he did. Why? Because the covenant was already confirmed in God's mind. God made covenant with a man called Abraham and said, the world belongs to you and to your seed. And that seed is Christ and you and I are also Abraham's seed because we're in Christ. So here's the bad news for Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Boris Johnson, Nicola Sturgeon, thank God for the bad news for her. It doesn't belong to you. And you can bring in systems that forbid people from buying and selling. But here's the bad news. The gold and the silver are already coming to the temple. We're already magnets for the wealth of the nations. Amen? And let me just say this, and we'll get to this. I don't want to spend uh, all day at this, or I'll do, but I won't. But look at this. I want to show you this just before we, we press on. If he says the power to get wealth, or the, I establish my covenant by giving you the power to get wealth. Yeah? And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the confirming of the covenant, the establishing of the covenant. It's not too much of a stretch to say this, folks. Jesus Christ is God's power to get wealth. Because he's the establisher and the confirmation and confirmer of the covenant. I establish my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by giving you, God's people, the power to get wealth. And then it says, Christ confirmed that. So he is the establishing. Here's electrifying. That word confirmed in verse 15, and then the word in, in verse 17, both come from a root word in Greek. And guess what that root word is? If you're curious, it's curious. Curious. Or curious. The Greek word for Lord. But it says Jesus confirmed the Abrahamic covenant 430 years before the giving of the law. It comes from the root word from, for Lord. Jesus is Lord. I think it's over 600 times or something. It says that the word Lord is used in the New Testament. But that word confirmed comes from that. It's, the root word is curious. What it means is the covenant is established in his lordship. The covenant is established in Christ. 
in more ways than one because it's it, the very word means lorded, authorised, empowered, given authority by the one who is Lord. Wow. Amen. Now, let's look, we'll, we'll have to rattle through this now. Uh, I was going to look it up, but we want Genesis 12. What, in fact, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Because you need to see this. You say, well, if Abraham was blessed and the blessing of Abraham's come on me, what is that blessing then? It's not so much what is the blessing that I want to focus on today, folks. It's the purpose of the blessing. You see, the answer of God to the great reset or the attempt by the kingdom of darkness to impoverish mankind. That's why Jesus said, the good news, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to poor people. And if your gospel isn't good news to a poor man, it ain't the gospel. Why did, he, why did he make that a priority? Scholars will tell you in that ranking list from Isaiah 61 uh, and, and in the New Testament that the, the first thing to be mentioned is number one in priority. So even before healing and deliverance and so on, he says the gospel to the poor man. Now, I'm going to say this to you. Why is that? Here's why. Because when you look at God's word, in particular the New Testament, everything's pushing and gearing up and being set in place for the last days. And if the great plan of Satan at the end of days, the Antichrist system, the beast system, Babylon, has one purpose, which is you will own nothing. That means God's, uh, the devil's great purpose in the earth is to make you poor. Not just physical, material, financial poverty, but poverty in every way. Poverty is the devil. Yes. He has nothing. The Bible says he's been brought to naught. And he's already been brought to naught. Stripped of all power and authority. He's just an outlaw running around who hasn't yet been put under chains. Or destroyed in the lake of fire. Do you really think the devil's looking forward to the last days? I don't think he is. I think that's why it keeps getting delayed. And I think when he hears sermons like today, he'll probably back off. Because he knows it's coming. I'm like, well, he is deluded. If he really believes he can win this. You understand? We're not being flip about this. Flippant, should I say. Watch this. Genesis chapter 12. This is what God says. Yahweh said to Abram, get thee out of your country from your kindred your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, or I'll make you rich and famous, and you shall be a blessing. That's what I want you to see. We're not believing for wealth and prosperity and abundance so we can have nice cars. Nothing wrong with that. But it's so we can be a blessing. That's the purpose of prosperity. That's the purpose of abundance. That's the purpose of kingdom wealth. Okay, there's a wealth system that is the world's, and men scratch and claw and fight and fuss and kill and steal and cheat and swindle to get their hands on the wealth. And God says, 
And why do they get, try to get their hands in the mouth? So they can have power. But God says, my system's opposite. I already give you the power to get the wealth. But your heart has to be right. You can be as rich as you can be as rich as you want to be, as long as your motive is, who can I bless with this? I've got too much. I've got my nice car, thank you, Jesus. Doesn't mean much, but I enjoy it. I've got my nice house. But you know what? There's a guy in our church. Not got a car. Thank you, thank you, Lord. I've got the money that I can go and buy him a car. That's what God's wanting. That's the purpose of kingdom wealth. In the early church, they got that like that. And you know, in the Old Testament, God said that he wanted to prosper them so they could lend. But in the New Testament, we're past the lending thing because we're not looking for a return. We're givers. And he says, blessed to be a watch this. So that you be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee. And this is the Abrahamic blessing, remember. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God's purpose isn't to bless you, Bert, and get you a nice big roller and live in the biggest mansion in faith. He doesn't care if that's if that's but his purpose in giving you that wealth is so you will say, you know what? I've got plenty. Who can I bless? What ministry? And I want an abundance to give to every good, every good work. Not some good works. Every good work. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8. God is able to make all favour abound towards you that you always have, always, not sometimes, oh boom bust, no, no, no. Always having all your needs met. In every area of life, may abound, may have an abundance to give to every good work. If it's a good work, you, you go, oh, I'd love to give them money, but you know, I, I believe in that poverty gospel. So I'd love to give to you, but you know, I believe in poverty, so I have nothing to give. Why is God given us the power to get wealth? So that through us, as Abraham said, every family on earth be blessed. Then later on in Genesis 22, it says, let's just go there because we can kind of close off pretty much from there. Genesis 22. This is later on, at that time we were talking about, where Abraham is called upon to give Isaac. And he passes that covenant test. Amen. Are you a man of covenant, Abraham? Show me. But it's not so that I can determine whether or not that's in your heart, because I'm quite petty and spiteful. And if I find out you don't give Isaac, I'll blast you. That's how we think sometimes that the Lord is, isn't it? God had Abraham, sorry, God had Abraham pass this test so that he could get Jesus into the earth. So that it could be done legally. You give your son, because you're my covenant partner, that allows me to do what really matters here, which is get my son into the earth. And some people, of course, believe in the exact same spot, the exact same mountain, that Jesus was crucified. Certainly in that area. Now watch this, Genesis 22. 
Verse 16, and said, this is the Lord speaking, By myself have I sworn, saith Yahweh, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless. And incidentally, the Bible says that it says the only begotten son. It had to be an only begotten son at this point, didn't it? Not just uh, one of your boys will do. One of your boys to the, was it Keturah? Well, any, any, any of your children will do. No, no, it has to be the precious one. The only one. The only one that the seed of promise. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. In blessing I will bless you. Multiplying I will. See, God is a multiplier. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore. Watch this. Your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Are we the seed of Abraham in this place this morning, folks? If we are the seed of Abraham... Who are our enemies? The people that want to say to us, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy with it. That's our enemies. Wicked kings and love of money driven billionaires. The merchants of the earth. The kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth. They're our enemies. But it says you possess the gate of your enemies. Did God take that promise out of the Bible or say that only lasts up to 2021 and after that it's, it's a free-for-all? I don't believe he did. I believe this one. We're the seed we'll possess what they're trying to dispossess us of. Watch this. Look at this. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God said... I want to bless the nations through you, Abraham. Every family, every person, every nation. But we're the seed. We're not here to make up the numbers. We're here to bless the nations. Why? How do we bless the nations? By being the pleaser. By saying, this is government for you. Because all those guys, they're disqualified. They're reprobates. They've had their chance and blown it. We prayed for them. We asked God to you know, change their hearts. They didn't. So we're taking them. Now, we're not going to get guns and march in 10 Downing Street and set up a military coup. We do it here. We do it in the nights of prayer that, that Alex having in victory. We do it in our own prayer closet. We stand up and say, Father, we believe these words. Yes. And we're not doing it so we can be grandiose and lord it over people because that's the leaders of, the, of the, the nations, of the Gentiles, which means nations. We're not like those leaders. We're saying we're here to be a blessing. So when the wealth and the silver uh, of the nations comes to us as the temple, we're not going to use it to lord over these people. We're going to use it to destroy systemic poverty. Yes. The kingdom of God, the kingdom wealth that God plans to give his people and is giving his people right now will be used to destroy systemic poverty. And that's not just financial. That's poverty of thinking. That's poverty in every area. Poverty simply means to lack. <coughs> and what mankind lacks right now is all around us. We can see it. And God says that the fullness that God wants us to walk in will fill up the earth with his glory. You flood this earth with glory and there won't be a poor person when Jesus said, the poor you have always with you, 
He wasn't saying the poor you should always have with you. He was saying that people will be poor as long as they are ignorant of the blessing of Abraham. And it's our job through the blessing of Abraham and the key of David, which is the governmental authority in the earth, the Melchizedek Melchizedek order, functioning in the earth as they should be, as we should be. When we see that in the earth, things will change. And that's why in Isaiah 6 it says, the kings will come to the brightness of your rising. And that's probably talking about some of the ones that aren't totally corrupted, because they'll say, how come you've managed to do stuff here that we've never managed? All our programs, initiatives, and all the money we threw at stuff, because you're getting results. And there's something about you, there's a glory that can be seen upon you. And I believe that supernatural power and authority in God, but I also believe they see the wealth coming. You see, when the politicians of the earth, because that's who the kings of the earth are, they're always running after the money, aren't they? So when they see it in the ecclesia, that's when they'll take notice. It's not about you and I being able to buy yachts or Rolexes and sort of stuff. It's not about that. If that's, that's a message that we're not talking about that message. We're talking about stewarding resources for the kingdom and being the temple of God. And what, what happened when they built the temple? They clad it with gold. And there was so much gold in the temple. David gave billions. He gave billions of his private wealth. He gave billions from the public person. So did his mighty men. There was so much gold in Jerusalem during Solomon's reign, they had bings of silver in the streets. Help yourself. That stuff's almost valueless. Why? There's so much gold. And of course, that gold was used uh, to glorify the Lord because it was in the temple. Brothers and sisters, who's the temple today? So it's not just about having nice jewelry and plenty of goods. God doesn't have a problem with that, provided you're not covetous and love money. But the purpose of it is the heart motive. Lord, show me some poor people that I can lift out. You might say today in Scotland, 2021, there's not a lot of poor people. A lot of people maybe on benefit with 55-inch tellies and the latest mobile and so on. But they're poor in another way. Amen. And even if they are living of benefits and they get plenty of them, they ought to be working and have jobs Absolutely. and have purpose in life. Yes. Yes. So God's purpose for Scotland, because this is a rise Scotland, is that we walk as his ecclesia, as his last day's temple, and that the wealth of the nations comes, the gold and silver come into his temple, so that we can put on a show that Nicola and all the cronies through there See, oh, these, these people really have got it together. And it's not to show off, it's to show him off. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, folks. Amen.